All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. How are you guys doing today? Is everybody doing good? Come on, let me hear from you. Good? Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is Jeff. If you're a guest with us, uh, I am one of the pastors on staff. Great to have you guys with us, worshiping with us at uh, New Life Church. Uh, you might be here at our Carney campus. You might be at our North Black campus. You might be worshiping with us online. It, uh, either way, it doesn't matter to us. We're just glad that you're here. You might be watching this and it's five years from now, all right? You need to walk through our doors, all right? All right. So if it's been that long, come check us out. <clears throat> Look, we're in a series that we're going to be wrapping up today. I hope you've been enjoying it. It's been uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, we refer to it as 2 Timothy. And uh, Paul wrote two letters, 1 Timothy and 2. And in this letter, he was attempting to make sure that the message of Jesus Christ Right? The unadulterated message of Jesus Christ was going to be transferred through Timothy, this pastor in Ephesus, and that he would make sure that Timothy would lead in this next generation as Paul re realized, I'm in a dungeon, a dark, you know, uh, a dark, damp, cold dungeon, and the next time I'm getting out of this dungeon is that they're going to take me for execution. So these are the last words of Paul, and he's trying to make sure that as an apostle and as a leader, as a church planter, as one who has raised up multiple leaders and is wanting to make sure the message of Jesus goes on, he's writing these last words. Now today we're going to be looking at chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul really drives up a couple of great things, right? He starts saying, look guys, I always want you to know this world's not going to last forever. This world is going to come to an end Right? And in the end of the end, the end of days, there's going to be a lot of deception. Meaning a lot of false teachers are going to come and they're going to speak things that people are going to hear. And they're going to be like, that sounds better than anything I've ever heard before. And they're going to want to follow that truth. And that truth is going to lead them astray. But then he turns around and he goes, but let me help you with that. Since that day is coming, what should you do in light of that? And he's going to tell us what to do. So we're going to look at that today. He also says to us this, look, no one's going to last forever, right? Everybody's going to have an end on this, this earth unless Jesus comes back in the rapture of the church before you die. All of us are going to die at some point. And he's going, look, I want to inspire you to live your life in such a way that at the end of days, you could say what I said. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And guys, when I read those words in that dungeon that day, uh, in that dungeon prison, something just kind of leaped inside of me and I felt like the Holy Spirit was going, Jeff, lead your church in such a way that every single person that calls new life their home would be able to say at the end of their days, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. And with confidence, we'd be looking forward to being with Christ. And that's my hope for you as your pastor that's my desire that's in my heart. I want to help you live your life in that capacity. So with that said, we're going to jump right in. If you've got your Bible, then man, join with me, whether it's on you version, right? Or it's the analog version, paper, flip the pages. I don't care. <clears throat> but join me in chapter four. We're going to be looking at verse three. Here's how we're going to kick it off. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. <clears throat> False teaching has been happening ever since the first couple of pages in your Bible where Adam and Eve are in the garden and the enemy comes to them and starts lying to them about this tree of knowledge. 
And he says to them basically this, God's hiding something from you. That's how false teaching always starts. False teaching always starts this way. There's something that God hasn't shown you that I discovered. Right? I found it out. Like I've got this new thing. It's this new mystery. No one's ever heard about it. For all the generations that have ever preached out of God's word, I've got a new revelation and I want to share it with you. It's just like the enemy started in the garden. It's the same thing that's happening today. You can hear things such as the craziest thoughts, like, you know, let me tell you about this Bible code, right? And you flip every seven pages in the Bible, and you look at every fourth word, and you grab every third letter in it, and if you put that all together, it's going to say something to you like it did to me last night. Go to worlds of fun. (laughs) And you're like, poof. That was amazing. That was off the charts. Like crazy stuff that, you know, people come along just like the enemy did. And he lied to them in the garden. And then they bite of this and they realize, I just bit into a lie. And it's so easy, guys, at times to get sucked into a false teaching or a false doctrine. And I just don't want you to be there. I don't want you to go there. I don't want that to be your destiny. For the last 2,000, let's just take the last 2,000 years. The last 2,000 years, false teachers have been trying to get the church to believe false doctrine to take away the power of the message of Jesus Christ. Did you realize that when we, when we buy into a lie, it, it's like it's taming the power, the authority of Christ because we're believing, we're diluting the truth with a lie and it's taming it down. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is ferocious. It's authoritative, it's, it reaches out, it speaks with confidence, it's accurate every time. Jesus is the saving one. He came to set us free. He is the good news. And anything else that corrupts that just dilutes it and destroys it. It's to tame the power of the gospel. That's not where we want to go. In the church today, in the day and age in which we live, there are a number of false teachings that are trying to worm their way into the hearts of people to lead them astray. Worm their way into the hearts and the minds of pastors to lead whole congregations astray. And I, just, I thought, like, look, since Paul's talking about this and he's talking about the last days, which I think we live at the end of days, based on a lot of evidence that's found in God's word, that I thought I'd just highlight for you, what are some of these great false teachings that are happening that you can get your fingers on right now on the internet or hear someone preach a sermon you know, on you know, some satellite TV station or, or whatever, read a book about it or read an article about it or whatever. What are these things so that you could go, whoa, let me stay away from those. Let me highlight a couple of them for you really quick. Universalism. Universalism is a belief that every single person goes to heaven, every single person is saved, every person has eternity with God in heaven. Here's how they get to that conclusion. They say that the, the God of Christianity is the same God of, the, of Islam, it's the same God of Hindu, it's the same God of Buddhists. And that all of us are worshiping the same God and this universal God has just displayed himself to people in different ways, but it's all the same God. Therefore, as humanity worships God, we're all worshiping the same God. But we know clearly from the Bible over and over and over again that there is only one God. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter to him, right? You're going to want to write some of these things down because I'm not going to go to all these scriptures. But in 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him basically these words, Timothy, there's only one God. And let me tell you what his name is. His name is Jesus. Because that's what Christianity 
is firmly rooted in. There is one God and his name is Jesus. He created all things. All things were created by him and for him. You were created by him and for him. He is the one true living God. Now watch, here's what's gonna happen. Bible prophecy already tells us that this universalism idea is going to win out in the end. And in the, the, the end of days, the Antichrist will bring about a corruption to all faith with one church where everybody will be forced to worship one God. It will be the reason that they will proclaim. They'll say things like, this is what's going to tear down you know, the threat of terrorism. This is what's going to establish world peace. And they're going to point their finger back at Christians. They're going to point their finger at other religions, and they're going to say, look, these are the things that are dividing us. Here's the one truth, and I'm establishing it now. It's by law. Everybody worship this one God. This universalism is going to only ramp up greater in the end of days. So watch, right? Keep your distance, Keep your heart firmly rooted on Christ because in the end of days, it's that type of a belief that's going to sway people like Paul was saying and deceive them and lead them astray to something they think is better, but in the end it leads to death. Let's talk about a few more of these that are permeating the church. This next one's like, it comes in like a tide, like a, like a sea, like a tide comes in and then it goes back out. And then it comes in and then it goes back out. But this belief is the prosperity gospel it's the easiest way for me to describe it. This belief basically says that God has a primary mission on earth, and his primary mission on earth is to make you healthy and wealthy. Now, that sounds great, sounds awesome, but I just got to let you know that's not God's primary mission. This belief says that if Christians are sick or if they're suffering or if they're poor, it's because of sin or a lack of faith. I just want you to know, Jesus never promised for you to be healthy and wealthy. He did make a promise in Matthew chapter 24, though, that you're going to want to go home and you're going to want to read. And he says this, there's a reward for those who remain faithful to the end. And you know what the reward at the end is? Spend eternity with him. Where money won't be an issue and health definitely won't be an issue. So if there is any prosperity gospel, which there isn't, it's definitely something that's not on this planet. There is a day to come where there's a king of kings that owns the universe, Amen. right? Who created you and there'll be no sickness and there'll be no you know, striving for wealth. There'll be a desire to worship him. But on this earth, there was never a promise. Even Jesus' own brother, James wrote in, cha in chapter one, look, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. We're gonna face trials. It's gonna be difficult. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit has the power and the authority to bring healing. I believe that. I believe God's word talks about that. I think we should trust God for healing. I think we should pray for one another and believe that the Lord can heal. But in the end, whether he heals or he doesn't heal is not a direct reflection on his authority and his power. It's a direct reflection on his will. You, know, you, got, you do know that God uses a sickness to, pro, to proclaim his truth at times. He uses struggle, he uses strife to proclaim his truth at times. You, you get that, right? I believe the Holy Spirit can give you wisdom, businessman, businesswoman, on what decision you should make that in the end will result in your bottom line 
being greater, your net profit being greater. I believe that. I believe God can do that even for your local home, right? I get that. But it doesn't mean that calamity isn't going to strike and you're going to have to drain your bank account. It doesn't mean that your job isn't going to go away and you're going to have to use your emergency savings. Should we be smart on this earth? Yes, but it's not to point our finger to heaven and say, God, your, your primary existence is to make me wealthy and to make me healthy. See, we never control God to accomplish, you know, what this flesh wants. This flesh is meant to be obedient to his will. He's not obedient to my will. I'm obedient to his will. That's the way that that works. The next one disgusts me. Legalism. Legalism is a false teaching and a false doctrine. Some of us, like myself, have grown up in a legalistic environment at times. And it just, it corrupts us because it's the imposing of these strict, unrealistic, unbiblical rules and behavior claiming that it somehow fulfills God's law in a greater way. All the while, while we're controlling people and many times those leaders are leading harshly. Legalism, it fosters something inside of a church that causes Christian to attack Christian. Because each of us start looking at each other and we start judging each other based on this legalistic rule. We start saying, well, I can't believe that person. Can you believe that person? They wore shorts to church today. I can't believe that. How ungodly is that? The worship leader's got a hat on. Can't do that. That person, I saw that person the other day. You know what he did? He went into an R-rated movie. That person was in a bar the other day. Applebee's Bar and Grill. Can you believe that? I cannot believe that. Can you believe that pastor up there? Some of you are doing this right now. Can you believe that pastor up there? He's got holes in his jeans. He, he probably wants to be more holy, doesn't he? That was a bad joke. You didn't have to like laugh at that one. But thank you for doing that. It was very kind of you. Back in the old school days, legalism was like, I can't believe that person's wearing jewelry. They're wearing makeup. That beehive is not even straight. It's the leaning tower of beehive. If you don't get that joke, you're better off for it. If you do get it, it might have brought back pain. Jesus, he, he was totally upset at legalism. If there was one thing that Jesus attacked, it was legalism. He attacked spiritual leaders who were imposing law upon people that was unnecessary, unbiblical, not godly at all. Read this chapter, Matthew chapter 23, and see if my words are not accurate and true. He calls spiritual leaders that thought that they were the best, the greatest. He calls them blind fools. Then he goes on to tell them, you know what you guys are? You guys go and you make a disciple and you turn them into twice the son of hell that you are. That means Jesus was saying this, you're a son of hell. And you're only making people worse. So inside of me, if you, if you sense a little anger, resentment, if you sense a little bit like, give me a sword, I'll attack it. It's right. It's true. It is in me. It's why I do a little bit of what I do. I'd like to say that all of those motives are pure like Christ was. I guarantee you they're not all pure. But there's something about that false teaching. Oh, I want to go after that. Now that's a ditch over here. 
On this opposite ditch, there's been another false teaching that's been created because of legalism. And this false teaching and doctrine is referred to as hypergrace. Hypergrace is basically this opposite of legalism and an overreaction to legalism that's jumped right over the path that God's called us to over here. And it ends up being a, a, the result of it is abusive to the standard of God's grace. That God's grace was given to us as an unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing that we did for it, but God, before you know, we were even born, before you even showed up on this planet, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us, by the way, and established grace that covers our sin. That, sin was the that, that grace was to cover my sin so that I could turn 180 degrees and I could turn and I could start walking in God's path. And if I stumble and if I fall, then I could get back up, right? And I could keep going after God because of grace. It wasn't so that I could just go live and do whatever I want. But hyper-grace has done that. It has, it has prostituted the grace of God to a point where now people believe I can't do anything that would, that's going to make God upset or angry with me, that there's grace that's always going to cover it. It's always going to be covered. That it's almost as if God doesn't even see me as a sinner anymore. But I want you to know today, read Romans chapter six. It's very clear. Grace is not a license to keep on sinning. Grace is to pick us back up so we can accomplish the mission God called us to. But grace isn't a covering that I walk underneath now that just allows me to do whatever I want to do. There will be a price to be paid for our sin. Thank God for grace, but hyper grace is out of control. So someplace in the middle is where we need to walk. We're gonna talk about that today, but I have to deal with this last one because this last one is like a drum beat. Boom, boom, boom. That's in the distance. That's only getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And it's this false teaching and belief that hell doesn't exist. And that if you, if you take hell away, listen to me, if you take hell away, if hell gets removed from the equation, then the consequence for your actions are no longer there. It's as if, if you take hell away, it takes the teeth right out of living a biblical lifestyle because there is no consequence for your actions now. You know, there is no separation from God for eternity. And so it takes the teeth right out of it. Did you guys know that Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible? Now, thankfully, Jesus brought the good news. He's talked more about the, about the, gospel, the, the gospel of truth. He talked more about the kingdom of God. He talked more about heaven than he did about hell. But he talked more about hell than any other person in the Bible alone. That tells me that if Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, like we talked about last week, he knows something about hell I don't know. And that hell is a real place. Read Matthew 13, 50, and it's going to tell you very clearly, hell is a real place filled with torment, filled with weeping, and filled with what's referred to as the gnashing of teeth, the grinding of teeth because of pain, pain. In this place, hell is a place of regret. Hell is a place of pain. Hell is a place you don't escape from. Hell is final. It's what God's word says. Don't believe the lie that hell doesn't exist. You believe that lie, I'm telling you, you're going to take a quick right turn right off the page of God's truth. And you're not going to end well. Paul's saying, look, I saw this stuff happening. 
I saw it. It was happening in his day, and it was only going to ramp up, and it's ramping up. And it's the reason why I believe Jesus spoke these words in Matthew chapter 7. He says, look, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Why is the gate wide and broad, the highway broad that leads to hell? Because there's so much false teaching. So much of it. But Jesus goes, look, there's this narrow path. And he doesn't mean that, look, it's impossible to find. He just goes, it's simple. It's simple. I am the way, Jesus says. I'm the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except for me. That if you confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and you repent of your sins, you will be saved. It's the good news. It's simple. And if you stay focused on Jesus and you keep your eyes on the finish line of Christ, then all of this other distraction out to the right and to the left, this ditch of legalism, this ditch of hyper grace, this ditch that says hell doesn't exist, this ditch that says universalism is the answer, all those things kind of fade away because you've got your focus on Christ. He says, it's narrow because I need all of your attention or otherwise you're going to drift off of it into these false doctrines. That's what Jesus was driving home for us. So how in the world do you avoid falling in to these false doctrines and teachings? Well, the apostle Paul, as he was writing to Timothy, he gave us some of that solution. Look at the very next verse, verse five. Paul says this, but you should do these things to stay out of those ditches. You should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work all right, this is the third one. Work at telling others the good news. And fourth, fully carry out the ministry God's given you. Four simple things he tells us. If you want to avoid falling into those ditches and being deceived by false doctrines and teachings, keep a clear mind. Literally means this, be sober-minded. Stay sober. When you're drunk, when you're strung out on some kind of drug, when you're overdosing on painkillers, when you're not clear-minded, wow, you make some of your best decisions, don't you? You never regretted a single one of those moments, right? Of course you did, because you made some of your most foolish decisions ever when you didn't keep a clear mind. And that's what he's telling us. Look, keep a clear mind. Keep a focused mind. But that clear-minded piece doesn't just end there. It also means this. It also means to not overreact to things. And he was trying to say, look, you're going to hear people say all these things that are going to just make you go, wow, I never heard that before. That sounds so amazing. That's so much easier than anything I've ever heard. I'm going to follow that. And we're going to be quick and we're going to respond to it. And he goes, keep a clear mind. Don't quickly react to things. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But if you really want to truly understand what it means to have a clear mind, biblically it means this. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit more than you follow the leading of your soul. That when you are facing difficult and challenging times, quieting the soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, striving to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, he is at work and he's doing one critical mission in your life. He's trying to keep you on the narrow path that's simple that leads to life. He'll help show you, don't go there. That's false. That doesn't make sense. He'll help remind you of God's word. 
He'll take you back to scripture. He'll cause you to go and ask a pastor, ask a life group leader, ask one of your teachers in a, in a growth track class. He'll take you back to one of those and go, what do you think about this? And you'll, you'll go, I knew it didn't feel right, but I couldn't put my finger on it. You've had those moments. The Holy Spirit's job is to do that. That's what it means to be a, have a clear mind. Secondly, though, he says, look, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Meaning this, just commit yourself to the truth of God's word. Suffering is a non-issue then. If you know that you're committed to Christ and that your hope isn't here on this earth, but your hope is in a life that is to come, suffering on this earth is a non-issue. Is it, are we, do we delight in it? No. Do we look forward to it? No. Do we plan for it like a vacation? I hope not, because I'm not going on vacation with you. But it's going to come. But you don't have to worry. He goes, look, those, the suffering moments are what cause you to grasp for things. You grasp for something, and all of a sudden you grab a hold of something that's a false teaching. All of a sudden you grab a hold of something that's going to lead you astray. But when you go through suffering, you're anchored in God's word. Suffering's a non-issue. That's second. Third, he goes, work at telling others the good news. You guys know that there's this something about, there's something about you living your life to honor God and to glorify God. There's something about that that goes, I want to live my life so that people see Jesus in me that causes you to stay on the narrow path that leads to life. And did you realize that when you're trying to live a life that honors God and you recognize people are looking at you, and they're watching you, and they're, they're, they're looking for the Jesus in you, that all of a sudden, out of your mouth, happens conversations about who Jesus is, that you start sharing Jesus more naturally? And did you realize that when you're trying to live a life that honors God, you are focused on the prize one more time? You're focused on the end result, and if you, the more you stay focused on the end result, the less you drift off the narrow path that leads to life. It's like everything that Paul's saying just keeps coming back to these simple things. I love the fact he said work at telling others the good news instead of work at digging in the Bible to find all of its mysteries. I love the fact that he said this. But we end up screwing it up. Oh, it can't be that simple. It's got to be more like let's like spend three more nights in a Bible study every night and dig deeper, 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 deeper. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? I don't have time. I'm in a Bible study. It's destructive. It's like a kid who blows up the balloon too far. Intake, intake, intake. With no outflow. You want to you wanna stay healthy to the end? Work at telling others about the good news. You know what that's going to do naturally? Cause you to hunger for more of God's word. It's amazing. Lastly, fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Every one of you, we believe at New Life, has a gift to share. And when you stay focused at sharing that gift, you stay, you stay in relationship with each other, meaning you, you're rubbing against other believers. You know what God's word says about that? It says when you do that, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know what else it says about that? When you're in ministry with each other and you're doing, you're teaching a, you know, a, a kid's class right now, or you're in our, our video booth and you're serving someplace or you're, you're going to be a part of a launch team that's going to Ogallala. I mean, when you're doing that, you're spurring each other on. You're encouraging each other to do the work that God's called you to do. There's amazing things that happen when we do that. All of that is leading to one big statement, and that is this. We keep growing and we keep becoming more mature in our faith, though. 
That's what happens out of all of this. And if you keep growing and you keep becoming more mature in your faith by following what Paul's saying, then all of a sudden you find yourself in Hebrews chapter 5. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training, watch this, right? Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between what? Through training. There's evidently God's given us the ability that through training here on this earth, that we can get to a place where our spiritual maturity grows, where we start, to dis- we start to discern better between right teaching and wrong teaching, right doctrine and wrong doctrine. I want all of you to get there. That's why we do growth track here, by the way. Growth track at the Kearney campus and the North Platte campus. Growth track helps you move from that stage of this searching who is Jesus Right? Then committing your life to him and start walking in your faith with him to then start running in your faith with him to get to this give it all lifestyle. We have a systematic approach here at New Life to help you go from pre-Christian, who is Jesus, to give it all, walking in maturity with Christ. I want to help all of you get there. you got to go to mynewlifechurch.com. Check out more about it. When you hear growth track, the next thing you should do, the next time you hear growth track, you should say this, where do I sign up? Because it's, it's going to help you mature, which is going to help you become a person that distinguishes between right and wrong. You still love me? Okay, good. Let's wrap this up. These last words that I want you to look at are for a purpose. They're an, they're an add-on to the message. But I, I, to finish the series, I had to bring you to these words. These words dropped me to my knees in that dark dungeon and tears flowed down my face as I read these words, realizing these are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. Here's the words he wrote from a dark, deep, wet, cold dungeon. As for me, my life's already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now, The prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he's going to give me on the day of his return. And the prize, look, here's the good news. It's not just for me, but for all of you, you included, who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Remember, I told you, I just felt like the Lord was going, Jeff, go and teach the congregation what it looks like to live a life where they can say, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. This is Paul's entire life. Paul commits himself to Christ at the conversion. He gets knocked off the horse going to persecute Christians. His whole life gets turned upside down. He lives a give-it-all lifestyle with his time, with his money, with his resources, with his mind, with his heart. That's just all he knew. And he's at this last moment where at any minute, any hour, uh, uh, you know, a, a jailer could come and pull him out of the hole and take him to be executed. And he's saying to the Lord, and he's saying to Timothy, and he's saying to us today, it's all worth it, number one. But in the end, all you have is your life left. You have no money left. You have no nothing left. All I had, Paul saying, is this, my life, and my life belongs to Christ. Paul never saw himself as a man being executed at the end of days. At the end of his days, he never saw that as an execution is going to happen. He saw his life being a sacrifice to God. A sacrifice to God. So how do you live this secret of Paul's life so that you can also say, I fought the fight. I fought it. 
and I have finished the race well. How do you do that? I think the secret was found in the last words we just read from him in verse eight. He says, this prize is not just for me, but for all, watch. How do you, how do you, how do you live this life, fought the good fight and finished the race? Eagerly look forward to the returning of Jesus. He comes right back. And he goes, narrow is the road. Stay focused on Jesus. The appearing of Jesus is going to change everything. It's going to change the way the, the government. It's going to change the finances. It's going to change priorities. It's going to change relationships. And it's going to change eternity for people. At that day when Jesus comes back, people will spend eternity with him or they're going to spend eternity in hell away from him. And I want you to be able to say, I fought the good fight. I want you to stand before Jesus and say this, at the end of days, when we all stand before him, I want you to be able to stand there with a great confidence and go, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, Jesus. The only way you're going to do that is by eagerly, think about that word, eagerly, like you hunger for it, like you desire it, like come Lord Jesus now. I'm standing on the edge of heaven, clinging to your holy presence, right? Longing to be where you are. That's eagerly desiring Jesus, we're going to sing that song here at the Carney campus today. We're eagerly desiring. Let me just ask you this. What's keeping you from eagerly desiring the return of Jesus right now? What just went through your mind? I haven't got married yet. I haven't got that promotion yet. I haven't bought that new house yet. There's sin in my life. There's things I want to pursue. Got a vacation planned, spent money on it already. What's causing you, keeping you from eagerly desiring the return of Jesus? Because whatever that is, it's going to keep you from being able to say, I fought the good fight and I finished the race. As we go to worship today, we're going to God. We're coming into the presence of Jesus. I want to just, I, man, I just want to inspire you. Come into the presence of Jesus right now and eagerly desire to know him. Eagerly desire, desire to be close to him right now because that's what eternity is going to be like. So let's come into this worship. Let's eagerly desire to be close to him. If we stay focused on Jesus, we stay focused on this narrow road, all these other issues will be non-issues. All these other false teachings will be non-issues. Stay focused on Jesus. Let's fight the good fight and let's finish the race. And let's be people that stand before him and go, we lived our life for you and all we have is this to offer you. Let's offer our lives to him today in worship. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We invite you to have your way in our church, have your way in our personal lives, have your way in our worship. Jesus, we come eagerly desiring to meet with you. We come eagerly desiring for you to return. Lord, that you would have your way, that you would set up your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and as it is in my heart. Would you have your way, God? Just show up in this church, Lord, and create a hunger inside of us, a hunger to worship you. Holy Spirit, stir up a passion to worship you right now. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray that, Lord, you would, you would convict the hearts of people that whatever it is is standing in our way of being able to eagerly you know, desire your return, that we would confess that, we would repent of that today. We would lay that dream or that idea down, and we would just hunger for you. We would pursue you more than we pursue anything else. So... Lord, have your way in this church. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.